0: Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters, trying to get a beer before or after a Nats game and are unable to get the bartender's attention. Well, Walters has solved that problem and more. Welcome to Walters, where Walters 24-self pour beer wall awaits you. Ask your server for a beer card and hit the beer wall, pay by the ounce, and try a few suds before you settle on your favorite.
1: Follow us on Untapped to get notified of all the new beers we bring in.
2: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need
3: Indeed. Looks like they're going inside. Here's the wind and the pitch. Swung on, fastball in, high in the air to right field. Soto going back, way back, going, going, gone, Goodbye. And Harris takes it over the big wall and right. And he has put the Braves back in front. It's Atlanta 4 and Washington 2. Now the pitch. Swing and a long drive to left field. Rosario going back, way back at the wall. It is gone! Goodbye! A home run for Michael Franco. Gets the Nationals to within a run. It's now Atlanta 5 and Washington 4. Three balls, two strikes. Robles, the tie run at second. Two out. Bottom of the ninth inning. Dramatics as Jansen comes set. Bell awaits the kick, and the 3-2 is on the way. Swing
0: and a miss. He struck him out. And welcome to Natchat for Friday, July 15, 2022, along with MassinSports.com Nationals Insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the. Al Galdi Podcast will credit the Nats for this. They are battling these days. The boys are battling these days. The Nats on Thursday night homered in the ninth inning of a game for the third time in two days. The Nats were in position to author their first walk-off win of the season. Bottom of the ninth, Josh Bell batting. Victor Robles on second base, two outs. The Nats down by just a run at 5-4, having already homered in the inning. But Bell struck out swinging on six pitches to end the game. Hey, the Nats can threaten. I didn't say that the Nats can win. They lost again on Thursday night. 5-4 was the final to the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park in game one of a four-game series. That's now seven consecutive losses for the Nats. That's now 13 losses in 14 games for the Nats. Mark, the Nats, since a three-game winning streak, June 26th through the 28th, have won exactly one game. We get that the Nats are bad. We get that there are many more losses than wins this season. But boy, when you talk about like literally not winning, the Nats right now are not winning
1: at all. One win this month of July, Al, and that was the Josiah Gray 11 strikeout performance in Philly, which they won by the skin of their teeth. Uh, I believe that was a one-run win. And yet, I feel like the last few days there's been a little bit different vibe. Like they are, like you said, battling for the first time in a long time, and they keep coming up like one hit short of pulling it off. And so I feel like the quality here has been a little bit better. This isn't necessarily the case we saw earlier on where they are down by a bunch early and just roll over the rest of the way. Now they're pretty much down every night. And that's part of the problem is that they're forcing themselves to have to come back. But the bullpen has kept them in just about every single game. And the lineup keeps giving itself these opportunities and you have some decent hitters at the plate in the right moments. And for whatever reason, they just cannot find a way to get that one hit that breaks it all open. And It's a fine balance for them in this clubhouse. There's frustration over the fact that they've lost 13 of 14 and are now 30 and 61 on the season, and yet there's also a little bit of hint of optimism saying, hey, we're doing the right things now. We are close. we just got to find a way to do one or two more things right a game, and we're going to start winning some of these things. But The results have been really tough to watch, but I I feel like the quality of baseball is actually kind of upticking here a little bit.
0: It's a tricky thing because the Nats have by far the worst run differential in the majors at minus 146. And yet, to your point, you look at this seven-game losing streak, there's only been one blowout loss. And a number of the other losses have been by one or two runs. I mean, just working backwards now, 5-4, 2-1, 6-4, 4-3 in 12 innings, 4-3. The losing streak started with a 5-3 loss. So everything's been closed with the exception of one game during this stretch, a 12-2 loss at the Braves. On July 8th. So, like, you know, you take a global look at the season. I mean, the Nats have gotten smashed this season. Again, minus 146 run differential. But you're right, lately, the games have been closer, but of course, you know <laughs> that is loser talk. I mean, th- this team, like you said, 31 games under 500. The record now against the National League East this season is seven and 34, which is just hard to fathom, and yet it is real. I constantly have to double check that to make sure we're not given the wrong mark. Like, no, seven and 34 is the Nats' record against the NLEs this season. And to the issue of, like, doing just enough to lose games, I mean, here you had the Nats on Thursday night out hitting Atlanta 11-6 and homering twice. It's not like you had 11 singles by the Nats on Thursday night. And yet somehow at the end of the game, the Nats have lost. They nearly doubled up the Braves in terms of hits on Thursday night and ended up losing.
1: Because the Braves scored all five of their runs on three homers, two of them coming with runners on base. The Nats homers were solo And the only times they had any kind of sustained rallies going, they had three singles in a row, twice in this game, and scored one run each of those times. It is situational hitting, clutch hitting. They had the bases loaded, nobody out in the second. They scored one run, and it didn't come on a hit. They had three straight singles in the fifth inning and did not score because Luis Garcia was thrown out of the plate. There was finally some good stuff late, you know, with uh, Soto and Cruz coming through in the eighth, the Franco homer. In the ninth, a good at bat by Luis Garcia in the ninth against Kenley Jansen. Victor Robles steals a base. They're right there. And the guy you wanted to play, Josh Bell, works the count full. Juan Soto's in the on-deck circle. Take one more ball, and Juan Soto's going to come to the plate with a chance to be the hero. And he never got the chance because Josh Bell swung at a pitch that was way out of the zone. That's not something he's done a lot this year. But the game was on the line, and all of a sudden, he got out of his comfort zone, and he tried to do too much. And that's kind of the story of this season for the Nationals. It's been very frustrating in a lot of ways to see this, especially when you know some of these guys are better than what they're showing in those situations.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you'd say the offense has been the biggest problem for the Nats, but I think it has been the biggest disappointment. I think we all expected more from this offense. Maybe we got seduced by what we saw as last season went on. You know, maybe we let those final few months sway us into thinking the offense was better than it was going to be. But I mean, I don't think it was unreasonable to look at Juan Soto and Nelson Cruz and Josh Bell and think, hey, you know, this offense could actually be a lot of fun to watch this year. And it largely has not been, you know, there's that phrase, right? The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. This Nats offense is the opposite of that. The whole is lesser than the sum of the parts because you look at the parts and you see an offense that actually should be pretty good. But when you look at the offense in totality, it's really not that impressive.
1: It's when they do it and when they don't do it. And that's what Davey Martinez has been harping on situational hitting, clutch hitting. It's trying to Do things in those spots that aren't working. I mean, that situation in the second inning where you have bases loaded, nobody out, and what do they do? A weak ground ball to third base to score a run, a pop-up and foul territory to the first baseman, and a ground ball to short. All they needed was somebody to get the ball out of the infield in the air. That's all they needed. They couldn't do it. And this has been an ongoing issue for them with the game on the line in the ninth. They just need Josh Bell to force Kenley Jansen to throw the ball over the plate. Kenley Jansen, who looked like he was all over the place in that ninth inning. And Josh Bell, who's had an excellent season and has delivered more in big moments for them than anybody, even for him, that was too much to ask in that spot. And it's just, it reminds me a lot of what happened early in 2019. And they finally got to that point where they relaxed just started playing baseball again and you saw they took off after that it's obviously this lineup is nowhere near as good as that one was but there are some good hitters there who should be doing better than this in these spots they've had enough of a track record to know how to approach those situations and it's like it just keeps building on itself you know the team has struggled so much to score runs like that and they're feeling the weight of the world on their <laughs> shoulders and uh, it shows in the in the outcome
0: Yeah, and it's funny, too, because you know you have Bell coming up small in the big spot to end the game, this in the same game in which he looked so good earlier in the game. I mean, Josh Bell in the first inning, a one-out full-count solo homer to the second deck in right field. I mean, a tremendous hit by Bell. Cut the Nats deficit to 2-1, 431-foot homer per stat cast. He had a single in the game, bottom of the fifth, a one-out single to right field. But yeah, when you needed him to truly come through, he unfortunately... Did not. Nelson Cruz did have an RBI single on Thursday night. One run eighth, one out opposite field RBI single through the right side of the infield to cut the Nats deficit to 5-3. He also had a stolen base in that inning, by the way. We are seeing the Nats score some runs in the latter innings of games here lately. That's been nice. Juan Soto on Thursday night did not homer for just the second time in six games, but he did have two more hits. He had a single and a double. Juan Soto now has raised his OPS by a full 100 points. Since June 22nd, he's taken the OPS from 796 to 896. You mentioned the Michael Franco homer. That was good. What ended up being a one-run ninth, a one-out solo shot to left off Kenley Jansen to cut the deficit to 5-4. So like you're seeing things that look pretty good, but at the end of the game, it's another loss. And at the end of the game, the feel with the offense is more what could have been as opposed to what was.
1: And the ultimate could have been in this one is the fact that Juan Soto was standing in the on-deck circle when the game ended and never got the chance. And this was why, from the outset of spring training, Davey Martinez, it was his number one reason why he wanted Soto to hit second. Now, he's done it a lot this year. More recently, they've flip-flopped him and moved Soto down to three and Bell up to two. And the sense I get is that this has more to do with Juan Soto's comfort level of where he hits in the lineup than necessarily Davey Martinez's belief of what is best for the team. You can't argue with the way Soto is hitting lately. You're not going to mess around with that right now. And if it's going well for him in the three spot, you do that. But boy, this was the prime example of the worst case that you don't want to have happen and why you want him to get as many at-bats as possible. It's the reason Davey outlined in spring training of why he wanted Soto to hit second so he wouldn't be in the on-deck circle when a game ended and they lose by one run.
0: Yeah, I got to say, I love Soto as much as anybody, but it's disappointing to hear that. He's got to get over this whole thing about I'm more comfy in the three spot than the two spot. He's got to grow out of that. So many great hitters bat in the two spot, okay? And it shouldn't matter to you where you hit, but like... To get caught up in that to me, it just seems so silly. Like, come on, dude. You're a great hitter. Wherever you bat, you will be great. Don't get sucked into thinking that way. I feel like in baseball, there's still a lot of this like old school mentality and people still look at things through the eyes of like 1952. Like still in 2022, you still have these like antiquated ideas. And I just I I hate hearing that, but. You know what? If it makes him more comfortable, he's not going to move like you said. He's going to keep hitting there. And he is hitting really well right now. I mean, there's no disputing that. So with Luis Garcia getting thrown out at home, yeah, another Nats runner got thrown out at home plate on Thursday night. Although this one felt different than many of the other ones this season. The kick and the pitch.
3: Swing and a line drive. Left center field. Going to be in for the base hit. Garcia around third being waved home. Throw to the plate. One hop. The tag. He's out at the plate.
0: and a great tag by Darno. Luis Garcia on Thursday night, again in the number one spot. That was good. Uh, He had himself two hits. He had two singles, including one in the bottom of the fifth, a one-out single to center field. But he got thrown out at home on a Juan Soto one-out opposite field single to left center field. Now, this seemed to be more the product of just a tremendous throw by the brave center fielder, Michael Harris II, as opposed to like a bad send by Gary DeSarcina or a bad job by Luis Garcia. Is that how you saw it?
1: So I definitely don't see it as a bad send by DeSarcina. That was worth doing. It was a great throw, as you said, from Harris. The only issue here may be Garcia's slide, if we want to call it that. He sort of fell down a little bit more and where he was, he kind of ran directly into where Travis Darno, the catcher, moved to catch the throw. Davey Martinez did say, called it a bad slide. He didn't like the big turn that Garcia took at third. It left him well outside the line instead of on a straighter line to the plate. He had to make a better slide. I mean, he, just, he kind of just fell. I've watched it a bunch of times. We talked to Luis Garcia also, and a few things that come to mind from it. To me... If you're the runner and the throw's coming from behind you, you can't really see where it's going to go. Darno is set up in front of the plate, and then the throw pulls him back to that side. So if I'm Garcia, that's a really quick maneuver to have to move the opposite direction to try to avoid that slide. Now, what I couldn't tell real clearly was if Nelson Cruz, the on-deck hitter, what he was signaling to Garcia. That's usually the job of that guy to motion to one side or the other if he needs to do it. Garcia said... First of all, he said he had his head down and he's rounding third, and so he's not really – you know, he's just chugging away and, and trying not to focus too much on the catcher. When he looks up, he sees where Darno is, and he made it seem like Darno was actually blocking Nelson Cruz somewhat, so he didn't get a real good look at what Nelson was signaling to him. So, yeah, there were things that could have been done differently and maybe he would have been safe, but I also don't want to put too much blame on anyone here. I think I want to chalk this up to a great throw by Michael Harris and sort of just a – Perfect convergence of where the throw pulled the catcher and how that took him right into Garcia's path. And I think you just give them all credit for that or say that was kind of a flukish way for it to go. I don't want to place a lot of blame on on how that play went in the end.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say what you just said because Kevin Franzen on Masson almost immediately brought up Garcia's slide and essentially faulting Garcia for sliding to the outside of home plate, should have gone inside, might have been safe. And I said to myself, hearing Kevin say that, I'm like I don't think you're wrong, but boy, that's asking a lot in that split second to know exactly where you need to slide if you're Luis Garcia. Like those plays happen quickly. They're bang bang. And for you to know precisely where you need to slide, that seems like a big ask of Luis Garcia. So I'm kind of with you on that. I I think it was just a great throw by Harris. I mean, it is amazing how often that's base runners have been thrown out at home plates all across the majors this season. But in this instance, I think it was just a good job by the Braves as opposed to a really bad job by the Nats. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Get yourself some Window Nation windows and take advantage of a great offer at 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. Beat the heat with Window Nation. Save $200 off any style new window from Window Nation, plus pay nothing until 2024. Yeah, 2024. Lower your energy bills and raise the value of your home with new energy efficient windows from Window Nation. Window Nation has installed over a million windows in over 150,000 homes, with 96% of those homes needing no follow up service. And Window Nation windows are made right here locally in the Washington, D.C., Baltimore area. If your current windows are sticking, or are drafty, or are cracked, or are hard to open, or are locking when they close, you need new windows. Get yourself Window Nation windows, eight six six ninety nation or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you and ask for the deal. Save $200 off any style new window from Window Nation, plus pay nothing until 2024. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. That's eight six six ninety nation or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you.
2: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire?
3: You need Indeed. Here's the set now. And the pitch swung on in high in the air to left field and deep toward the corner. Hernandez going back, looking up. It's going, going, and gone goodbye. A home run for Dansby Swanson on a changeup. A walk, a steal, an error, a two-run homer. It's Atlanta 2 and Washington nothing.
0: The net starting pitcher on Thursday night was Anibal Sanchez. The return of Sanche went down on Thursday night at Nationals Park, his first start in a major league regular season game since the 2020 season. It's so funny, too, how baseball can work out. We, on Thursday night, had the major league returns to the Nats of both Anibal Sanchez and Tyler Clifford. What were the odds of that happening? Two guys deep in their 30s on a rebuilding team returning to the majors with that team in the same game in the middle of July like this on Thursday night. But that's what we had. We'll get to Clippard momentarily. For Sanchez, well, you know, I think at the end of the game, he did more or less what you would have expected, four runs in five innings. Now, it's how we got there that is uh, kind of surprising, I guess. So he got off to a wretched start in the game. He issued a leadoff five-pitch walk of Ronald Acuna Jr. Acuna then stole second base, and the steal yielded a throwing error by K. Bear Ruiz, uh, advancing Acuna to third that was a really bad throw by Ruiz. We're not used to seeing him do that. And then Sanchez gave up a home run, a two-run homer by Dansby Swanson to left field for a 2-0 Braves lead. Sanchez, though, then tossed scoreless second, third, and fourth innings. So that was good. He then, though, gave up two more runs in the top of the fifth inning. He gave up a leadoff single to Travis Darnot, gave up another single to Marcelo Zuna, and then gave up a two-out full count two-run homer to Michael Harris, the second to right field for a 4 2 Braves lead. So, like I said, four runs in five innings for Annabelle Sanchez. He did have five strikeouts, which was surprising. I wasn't anticipating that. But he also gave up the two homers. And, you know, at the end of the game, it's four runs in five innings. Like, you can't go too nuts with it. So, I guess you say, Mark, bar is low. Expectations were low. Could have been a lot worse. Certainly, initially seemed like it would be a lot worse ended up being, I guess, better than things could have gone. But, you know, all things considered, like I said, four runs in five innings, you know, no one's throwing a parade over that.
1: Two batters into this game, Al. I hear your voice in my head. I'm already imagining how you're going to open this podcast, given How excited I know you have been for weeks and weeks to finally see Annabelle Sanchez back on the mound at Nationals Park again. And here it was like this very disappointing start. And I could feel the emotion coming from you and how you were going to react to all this. And look, I'll admit, I thought to myself, this is going to be a disaster. And to his credit, he immediately settled down. He had some jitters, I think, in that first inning. But he settled down and he faced the minimum through the fourth and got some very good hitters out. He gets Acuna out twice, strikes him out. He struck out Swanson after the home run. He struck out Olson, who's their number three hitter, has been outstanding for them. He's throwing everything that he's got in his arsenal. He was at 92 with his fastball. He bottomed out at 60 with the butterfly changeup. And he was this close to Having what I would call a really good start. I know it was only five innings, but under the circumstances, I was prepared to call it a really good start. He needs to throw one more pitch to Michael Harris. And he threw the kitchen sink at Harris. It's a 10-pitch at bat, okay? And there are few guys in the big leagues who have the kitchen sink at their disposal. Annabelle Sanchez has the kitchen sink. He can throw everything. And he did throw everything. And it finally got to him. Harris, just like his throw in the bottom of that inning, I'm giving Harris all the credit here for that at bat, for battling his way, fouling off some tough pitches, and finally getting one that he could hammer to right field for the home run. And to me, that changed the entire complexion of the start. If he gets him out, two runs in five innings, we're saying, hallelujah, that was fantastic. So I don't know what's going to happen next time out. There will be a next time out, by the way, because this was good enough to warrant another one, and they don't really have anyone else at the moment to step in and take that spot. I don't know how it's going to go from here, but I had set the expectation bar exceptionally low going into this one, especially considering the lineup he was facing, and I thought he did really, truly as well as anybody could have reasonably thought he would have, and he was this close to putting together a really good start.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the thing. You're grading on such a curve because, again, it's four runs in five innings. And thank God he is going to start again because I was getting really nervous that he might not. But you just made me feel a whole lot more comfortable about life that Annibal will be starting again. You know, but seriously, like I think what is tough about him starting and what is tough about a game like Thursday night is if you are a Nats fan, right, and you're trying to be invested in this season and care about things happening in this season – Annabal Sanchez starting just feels pointless and we all understand why it's happening they don't have any organizational pitching depth we get that but still you can't help how you feel and I remember feeling this way when Aaron Sanchez would pitch it was just like okay, whatever like if he pitches well, fine if he pitches terribly whatever like it's a road to nowhere and sure enough Aaron Sanchez now, Is long gone. And those outings that he had meant nothing and left you with nothing and will be looked back upon by literally nobody years from now. And it just kind of feels like that with Annabelle Sanchez. And none of this is an indictment of him as a person. No one will ever forget what he did in 2019. He's had a great career. But like when you take a step back and you say, well into his 30s, didn't pitch in the majors at all last year. And in his last major league season, 2020, was really bad. He really struggled that season. And now he's pitching for this team, this rebuilding Nats team this season. I think it's hard for most Nats fans to get into that. And I think it's hard to just even like accept that, Okay, he's going to be pitching once every five days. And the other thing, too, is this, and this gets gets forgotten. He was supposed to be in the rotation to begin the season. This isn't like, well, boy, we're just down to nothing. We've suffered a lot of injuries. We don't have options. This was, no, our intent was to begin the season with him in the rotation and then he suffered this cervical neck impingement, and that's what put him on the shelf and caused him to not make his regular season debut until Thursday night. So I think that that's a part of this, too,
1: if you're a Nats fan. I'm not going to disagree with anything that you just said. You are spot on with all of that. But just for those out there who haven't you know, thought it all through, I'm going to give you the names of all the other people who they hoped would be starting instead at this point of the season and why they're not. Steven Strasburg obviously injured. Joe Ross just had Tommy John surgery again. Jackson Tatro is on the IL. So is Evan Lee. Josh Rogers is still trying to make his way back from the injured list. We may see him by the end of the week, by the way. He could start Sunday, still to be determined who's going to do that one. Joanna Doan, who we've seen a lot of this year and clearly needs time at AAA to work on some things. It's not doing him or the organization any good to keep putting him out there. And then, of course. The real prospects, Cade Cavalli and Cole Henry. Now, if you want to be upset that they aren't here yet, thinking they should be, that's fine. That's a valid point. But this organization has determined that neither one of them is ready to make his debut yet. I think we're getting close. I felt that way for a while. Maybe Cavalli's little finger issue now is going to delay that a little bit. They're both going to be up here at some point before this is all said and done this year. But that's a lot of names of guys that you would hope and the organization would hope we're actually pitching for them rather than Anibal Sanchez. But because none of them are available right now in their minds, this is where they were and they go with him. You know, no, it's not going to lead to anything in the long term. But right now, they need somebody to pitch every fifth day and he's the best they've got.
0: Yeah, I just, I think though, the fact that their intent was for him to be in the rotation at the beginning of the season, I think that is what sticks with a lot of people. That he's pitching now you can maybe possibly stomach that at the beginning of the year, they wanted him in their rotation to begin the season. Like, that was part of the plan for this season. You know, I think that's, that's tough to take. Now, you just said a name, Steven Strasburg. Part of the roster maneuvering by the Nats on Thursday afternoon in bringing back Anibal Sanchez, they returned him from rehab and reinstated him from the 60-day injured list, was transferring Steven Strasburg to the 60-day I.L. Look, I don't think anybody's shocked by that, but I think it's like important to acknowledge this. So we're not hearing like anything right now about Steven Strasburg. He got placed on the 15-day injured list on June 14th, retroactive to June 11th with a stress reaction of the ribs. He's pitched in one major league game this season, a 7-4 loss at Miami on June 9th, seven runs in four and two-thirds innings. He made exactly one start and then was back to being out with injury. I mean, right now, is it likely that he's done for the season like do you think it's safe to say that or would you not go that far just yet
1: i guess i'm not going to go that far yet because we haven't been given an answer as far as what their intention is here but i'm not holding my breath for it to happen i think we knew that when they announced what that injury was the stress reaction of the ribs, that that's something that requires a good amount of time to rest, to heal, and then he's got to start all up again throwing, and who knows how that all goes. But for those who don't necessarily know the procedures of how this works, even though they just put him on the 60-day IL now, that doesn't mean the 60-day clock starts now. It goes back to, what do you say, June 11th was the first time. So in theory, he's still eligible to come back around August 11th. Do I think he's going to be pitching on August 11th for the Nationals? No. I do not. He would already have to be throwing and having some kind of program going, and he does not yet. So the clock is ticking for it to happen this year. And, you know, if I had to bet on it, I would say probably not. And they're probably going to try to figure out how can we start over again in the offseason and see if we can get him back to a point that he can attempt to come back next year. But. The procedure of moving him to the 60 day IL right now, I don't think is necessarily a reflection of any change in his status. I think it was unlike they did with Tanner Rainey, where they immediately put him on the 60 day. This is the more conventional way you do it. You put him on the 15 day until you need a roster spot. And that's what they did to get Anibal Sanchez back for this game.
0: Do you find the lack of information and the lack of discussion about Strasburg disturbing or ominous, or was this anticipated that when he went out with his injury, you figured it was going to be a while until they really had a handle on what was next?
1: Yeah, I was hoping, you know, as a reporter, it's frustrating because you want to be able to spread information to everyone and, and have a sense of what's going on here. And is the team completely in the dark the way that we are? Probably not. I think they have an idea of whatever it is that they're attempting to do here. But I also buy into the, the logic that the injury that he has, like we said, you can't really do anything for a while. They're not broken, but it's like short of a fracture of the ribs. It's like the step right before that were to happen. You have to just let that heal. There's nothing you can do. There's no surgery for that. There's no rehab program for that. You just have to wait for it to heal. So I guess I can understand why they're not going to say a whole lot else until In theory, he gets over that, and now they come up with a plan. But if they already know in their minds he's not coming back to pitch this year, I don't know why they wouldn't bother going ahead and just telling us that now because, like we said, even in a best-case scenario, the clock is not favorable, uh, nor, in my mind, unless he's feeling great, is there a whole lot of reason to even try to do it at this point. So I don't know. As a reporter, I'm frustrated by it, but I also, I guess I understand why they don't feel the need to make any official declaration of this when there's not going to be any movement with him for quite a while anyways.
0: Yeah, it has felt like there is a lack of information and a lack of discussion about Strasburg. Like it feels like this should be a bigger deal that this guy continues to be out and they move him to the 60-day IL and like you still don't get like any updates on how he's doing or anything like that. If in fact he is done for the season, you're talking about eight starts, eight major league starts over the last 3 years. It really is something with what has happened with him. Another corresponding roster move by the Nats on Thursday in activating Annabelle Sanchez was them optioning Mason Thompson to AAA Rochester. And boy, if ever there was an example of just being a victim by being optionable, this was it. Because Mason Thompson had been pitching really well. This was not an instance of the Nats demoting a reliever who was struggling, who was scuffling, who was having a hard time finding his way. Mason Thompson, since coming off his stint on the 60-day I.L., had been really good. Five scoreless innings since the Nats on July 1st returned Thompson from rehab assignment and reinstated him from the 60-day IL. But the Nats on Thursday afternoon sent him down to Rochester. And um, I mean, hopefully he's back soon. I would think that he is back soon. But man, uh, you talk about not deserving to be demoted. That was Mason Thompson on Thursday.
1: Yeah, The guy hasn't given up a run yet (laughs) this season. Now, the problem is neither has Hunter Harvey, who's still here. Andres Machado, he finally gave up a run, but I think it was 10 straight scoreless appearances for him. So in this bizarre world that we're in right now, the Nationals have too many relievers that they want to keep. Go figure. Who saw that coming? It's unfortunate. And part of you says, why would you not want to keep a potential young building block for the future up here? Now, the explanation and somewhat is that he missed a lot of time with an injury in the big league bullpen. You have to be Careful about, like, you can't just give guys extra days off. You got to pitch whenever they need you to. And I think they want to be more careful with him because of the injury history there. And so at AAA, you can do that. If he's back up in 10 to 14 days out of the All Star break or a week later, something like that, then I'm fine with it. You understand it. If he's still down there come like August, that's a problem that's not good for his development because I do think he is someone who needs a good look the rest of this year. But you know, Machado has already used up three of his options this year. There's a new rule this year. You only get five per year. That probably played factor in it. Jordan Weems has been really good lately. It's a weird situation that they're in, but short of releasing somebody else. And you can say, well, hey, what do they need Steve Ciszek or Erasmo Ramirez for? Okay, that's fine. But they're not going to get rid of somebody when they have other guys with options, essentially. And so that's why they make the move. I would hope within a couple of weeks we see him back here. If not, that's a problem.
0: Yeah, I think, again, going back to just if you're a fan observing this, there is something that just strikes you as wrong of in order to make room for Anibal Sanchez in his age 38 season, you optioned a potential young building block in Mason Thompson down to Rochester. We get the circumstances, we get why, but man, that does not feel right for this team this season in its circumstance.
2: Treat the whole family to a fun night of baseball with the Bethesda Big Train at Shirley Povich Field. Big Train Baseball is the perfect mix of small-town charm and big-league talent right here in Bethesda's Cabin John Regional Park. Visit bigtrain.org forward slash tickets to reserve your seats for tonight's game and all other home games throughout July.
3: Now the pitch, swinging a ground ball to third. Up with it is Franco. A throw across the diamond low, but stretching out Bell hauls it in. The side retired, and Tyler Clipper's return to the Nationals is a 1-2-3
0: inning on a total of 10 pitches. With the bullpen on Thursday night, this was another good game for the Nats. pen. three relievers combined to allow one run in four innings. You mentioned Machado giving up a run. Top of the six, he gave up a one-out solo home run by Matt Olsen. Matt Olsen. For a 5 2 Braves lead, but then Hunter Harvey tossed a perfect top of the seventh, and then Tyler Clippard looked really good in his return to the Nets at the major league level. Two scoreless innings, seeing a perfect top of the eighth, struck out Ronald Acuna Jr., swinging on four pitches for the second out. I was thinking about this with Clippard. For the most part, very good in recent seasons. He pitched well at AAA Rochester. He looked good on Thursday night. Hopefully, he'll continue to look good in the coming weeks. I know it's a short turnaround. Do you think, though, it's possible they could actually end up trading him by August 2nd? Could they actually get something for him, even off a brief Major League stint this season?
1: Boy, let's uh, just jump the gun there after one appearance, Al. I don't know. I mean, I guess anything's possible. They've got, what, two and a half weeks, I suppose, to do that. I would say this, though. If it happened, I think Clippard would be really upset by it. He is genuinely thrilled to be back here, specifically here, even though the team's in the situation they're in. He was emotional, talking about it beforehand and afterwards, running in from the bullpen. He feels like this is home to him. He is thrilled that he finally got the opportunity to do it. And while he's not saying it outright, I got the sense that he knows this is probably the end of the road for him. And he wants to end his career here in D.C., even if that would mean not getting a chance to go pitch on a contender the rest of the way. We'll see. You never know what might happen in this sport. But um, Tyler Clippard wants to be a Washington National right now.
0: That's great. Love Tyler Clippard. No problem with Tyler Clippard. His feelings should mean exactly zero to Mike Rizzo in the rebuild, Okay, This is not about Tyler Clippard's feelings, all right? This is about you got to do what's right for the organization. And uh, I actually think it'd be pretty cool – (laughs) if they somehow got him to get back a prospect off like two weeks at the major league level this year. That might top the John Lester flip of last year. <laughs> it's hard to top the Lester flip with his five plus ERA. This might top it. You bury Clippert at Rochester for so much of the year, call him up, he pitches well for two weeks, he's been a good soldier for you throughout his career, but especially this season, and then you end up trading him for a prospect. That would be cold-blooded if Rizzo pulled that off.
1: You are the ultimate cold-blooded <laughs> animal al i don't know you have, you there's no heart in there at all for any nostalgia for anything that makes the fans feel good the team's 30 and 61 and you know what the crowd of 25,000 tonight got to stand up and cheer for Tyler Clippard who was emotional that he got to pitch again at Nationals Park and you just cannot wait to trade him now
0: well, he abandoned Peaches as his walkout music, right?
1: Well, so when he first was here a long time ago, that's what he started with. And then along the way, he switched at some point to Ready or Not by the Fugees. So we actually talked to him before the game and said, you know, what, what are you going to do? And he was asking us, well, what do you think I should do? And I even said, you know, maybe just call out the Peaches just one time. How fun would that be? And he said, yeah, but the problem is, was two problems. Number one is the reason he switched is that people started actually calling him Peaches. Like he'd go around town or around the ballpark and fans are calling him Peaches Clipper, and he didn't like that. He said that's not the best nickname for a major league player. But secondly, and this is probably the bigger issue, he says if he runs out to Peaches and has a one-two-three inning of relief, now he's got to stick with it because he's a ball player. This is what they do. You can't change your walk-in music after you have a scoreless inning with one song. So that was his biggest fear, so that's why he stuck with uh, Ready or Not by the Fugees.
0: Well, Ready or Not's a great song, but had he stuck with peaches, I might be less inclined to trade him. The fact that he abandoned <laughs> that, I think, all right, sorry. Sorry, pal. Uh, you may have to go. But we'll see. But he looked good on Thursday night, and it was nice to see him pitch like that. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats chat Podcast. At gmail.com, you can get yourself a Nats Chat podcast t-shirt that you can wear loudly and proudly at Nationals Park over these final three games of the four-game series against the Braves. Uh, You can get your t-shirt by going to site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. From Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time. On the Nats Chat podcast. And we right now resume our look back at the month that changed everything for the Nats, July 2021. And honestly, the purpose of these look backs is essentially peaked by this look back that we're about to engage in right now. The first game for the Nats off the 2021 All Star break, a 24 8 loss to the San Diego Padres at Nationals Park on Friday night, July 16th. This game was some game for the Nats. And it was some day for the Nats. Friday, July 16th, 2021, featured Nats third baseman Starling Castro being placed on administrative leave by MLB under the joint MLB-MLBPA domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy. Friday, July 16th, 2021 featured the return of F.P. Santangelo as Masson's in-game analyst for telecasts of Nats games off him having been out for more than two months due to alleged sexual misconduct. And Friday, July 16th, 2021 concluded with this 24-8 Nats loss to the Padres in Washington, D.C. We thank you for listening to the Nats Chat Podcast.
3: That's it. He's made the signal to the bullpen. Yeah, I, I'm saying it, you had to be out, run, run out of patience here. I mean, the, the 21 inning scoreless streak, but he's just not been the same the last three times out. Not even close. He's going to leave getting only four outs. Davey Martinez did not look happy as he
0: took the baseball there, so... Fetty departs here at the top of the second inning, three walks, loading the bases. We hope that everyone had a very nice all-star break. And now so much for that, because whatever good feeling, whatever hopeful vibes, whatever refreshed aura that existed going into Friday was like stomped out on Friday, with it ultimately being legitimately one of the worst days in Nationals history. Heck, maybe the worst day in Nationals history. I mean, you hate to say something like that, but I don't know how else to categorize what we all went through as Nationals fans and observers on Friday. Friday afternoon, the horrendous news that Starling Castro has been placed on administrative leave by Major League Baseball due to a domestic violence allegation and all that that entails. And then on Friday night, in a development that belongs in a totally different category, we see the Nats get completely obliterated by San Diego at Nationals Park. In game one of a three-game series, 24-8 the final. Justin Herbert had three touchdown passes. The 24 runs, the most runs given up by the Nats in a game since the franchise came to D.C. Mark, it is nice to see you. I hope you had a nice trip up north. Uh, We had a nice trip to Fenwick Island. And we all come back to this. Uh, What a woeful day Friday ended up being.
1: Yeah, I may be heading back up to New England after this one now because it was very relaxing. The weather was great. Not like this. It was 92 and humid all night, and uh, it was much more pleasant up there than it was watching the Nats give up 24 runs and everything else that went along with it. And Honestly, the 24-8 to 8 score, I feel like, isn't even fully reflective of what actually happened in this game. It was ugly right from the get-go, the first two innings. I mean, you name it, everything went wrong. And to me, like, if that just happens on any given night, you could say, all right, well, you excuse it. You kind of throw it out the window. It just happens. Even if it happened last week at the tail end of that brutal stretch they were in where everybody was on fumes going into the all-star break. But for this to happen in the first game out of the break where everybody's fresh again and you're trying to set a good positive tone for the second half of the season, for that to happen like that in the first game back, that to me was pretty disturbing. And that's just what happened on the field.